Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share the near-death experience of Leola Curtis, who, if you've been following the podcast, you may have heard me talk about her a little bit. This is my grandma. She had a near-death experience, and she's possibly had others, but this is the most in-depth one that I am aware of. And uh, and I'm going to ask for your patience a little bit. I uh, I have some very deep connection with this experience, which we'll possibly go into later. It's very personal and very special to me personally. But I feel like this audience is ready for this kind of um, closeness and sharing vulnerability, if you will, um, because this is this is the kind of thing we talk about, this connection with the afterlife that is so beautiful. Anyway, um, I'm going to start with her experience. And this is a compilation of, she recorded her experience on several occasions, and I went through and kind of pieced together um, the different uh, ex- por- portions of the experience that she shared into one. I, I only did it um, at the level where it was clear that this is the order that it was in or any, and everything, so it's not like I'm taking creative liberties or anything, but... Um, you know, in different accounts, she gives different little details here and there, and so I just made sure everything flowed as one uh, account, but, um, but, so this is her account, and it is in her words, Uh, as I've said in the past, she was a writer, she enjoyed writing very much, wrote articles for newspapers, lots of stories, um, and so forth, but she especially loved writing personal experiences, so, This is the experience of Leola Curtis. It happened in 1988. Everything seemed natural as I started my day's work. I remember our son was talking to his dad in the kitchen, and I was ready to wash a batch of clothes. I reached down to get the soap out of the container and suddenly got sick to my stomach, so I just went into the bathroom for a while. The sickness didn't leave. I tried to work, but I got so weak. My husband worried. I found I couldn't even keep down a drink of water. By noon, we called the doctor, and by night, I was in the hospital. I stayed there six days. They never did find out what was wrong. I think they gave me every test and pill they had. They even tried a CAT scan and brainwave tests, and all came out normal but I could only take small bits of nourishment and, of course, the IV in my arm. Then one day, I started to pass out or stop breathing. I did this four times while they used oxygen and other things to revive me. Okay, that's the picture. I had a dream. I saw a pink-looking casket, and and in it was a lady dressed in her temple clothes. I thought, oh... One of my friends is going to die. I had two friends in the hospital at the same time, and I felt so bad because I loved both of these ladies very much. I wondered if it was the one named Lily or the one named Marie. I looked a little closer and found out it was me. Then I turned around to see if anyone else could see the lady. I saw someone all dressed in white. He looked like an angel and I seemed to know who he was. I could tell he was a spirit. 
I don't remember feeling anything. I felt a little curious about the whole thing. I said, well, where am I? He said, I have come to take you to the Father. I didn't mind. I seemed to be glad to go. I wasn't a bit afraid. I saw mourners passing my coffin and thought to myself, so this is what it's like to die. The person that had come to me seemed a little anxious to get going. I said, well, what is it like? Then it seemed the scene changed, and I was swept away to a place where everything was light and beautiful. There was a joyous feeling in the air, like when a person is suddenly given good news. I could see a place just ahead I wanted to go inside. It was like I was hearing music and laughter and people so joyous. I just couldn't wait to get inside. Then something happened. I heard a little boy crying. It was a deep, sobbing sound, like a heartbroken child gives. And I said to the person with me, I, I can't go until I find out what is wrong with that child. The sound of his grief was tearing me apart. He said, But it's time. I had instructions to bring you. I was upset then. I heard such sobs that I could not bear it. I said, you go back to our father and ask him if I can have a little more time. Ask him if I have done any good thing in my life that I could be granted this. I must comfort that child. I must find this boy and put my arms around him. All at once I woke up and found myself being worked over again. They were giving me oxygen and trying to get me to breathe again. They said I'd passed out again. But I knew it was more than that. I know I was given extra time. This happened three times. Each time it seemed like I was going to heaven. One time I could see a beautiful place and, oh, I did want to go in. I could see many of my relatives and they were so happy. But then I thought about that little boy crying and I told the angel I wanted to go back. My two friends didn't get out of the hospital. At least they didn't come home again. So I was the only one who was lucky enough to get well. And I'm so appreciative, so thankful for having extra time. I just can't explain it to you, but life is so full of wonderful things that I just feel like there's no time to waste on sadness. I'm really glad to be here. I want all of you to enjoy it. It's too short to hold feelings. It's too short to be angry. It's too short for all the bad things. Just enjoy the good things. Just appreciate each other. Be glad you've got each other. I came home, but something special had happened to me. Now I knew for sure there is a heaven. I knew for sure that there are angels and a Father in heaven who loves me very much. That's the end of Leola's experience. And uh, the family, uh, the extended family, uh, her children and so forth, all know about this experience, and it's a very special experience within the family. And so I ask you to, you know, be respectful of it. Um, she said on other occasions that she knew very much that this was more than a dream. I think the using of the word dream is kind of her way of 
of trying not to sound weird. She always had a bit of a gift for recognizing things a little bit beyond the veil. And she was always very cautious about how she shared it and how she uh, um, expressed it. Though when she, in more personal and, and close situations where it felt appropriate, she would um, share in a little more depth and a little more detail. I want to share with you something that happened. Um, this would have been after her experience, you know, after she got well again, but only about, uh, let's see, a year or two, I, I wrote it down, before she, no, sorry, um, 1988 is when she had the experience, so this would have been a few years later, but about, just a little over a year before she died, and, uh, and I wrote this out um, in order to make sure that I wouldn't miss anything. I, uh, I've written this story down in my own personal journal and, and things like that um, so that I would have it and to be able to share it with my children. But it wasn't until long after I'd heard about her experience that the significance of, this, um, of all of this uh, came to my knowledge. And you'll see why as I, as I read this. And this, again is very personal to me, very special, and I'm sharing it with you because I feel like this audience is is the right audience to share it with. Um, and, uh, and I can understand, as I consider thinking about sharing this kind of thing, I can see why people are hesitant to share their near-death experiences. It's not because, it's not just because they're afraid people won't believe them, but it's also because it is so special and personal to them. And I'm sharing this with all of you because I know that you're the kind of people that will appreciate and will understand it for what it is. So I'm, these are my words at this point um, that I'm reading. Um, so here we go. It was May 12th, 1991, Mother's Day. My family and I were just finishing up another fun-filled trip to Grandma Curtis's house complete with a fresh bowl of vanilla ice cream, a vigorous game of hide-and-seek with the cousins, and bags of fresh garden vegetables to take home. Everything had gone perfect, until I saw something that, to my naive 11-year-old heart, may have been one of the biggest tragedies I'd ever witnessed. Throughout the day, we'd excitedly watched a young bird, fresh from the nest, practicing its new wings on the grass in the yard, now it rested, chirping happily behind Grandma's colorful flower garden. In the flurry of our preparations to go home, the door was left open just long enough for the cat to slip out of the house and come face to face with any cat's golden opportunity, a flightless bird. I watched the encounter in shock, unable to pull my eyes away as the otherwise innocent cat snatched the unsuspecting bird so quickly that its song still rested on my ears as it went silent, never to sing again. I was so shaken that I covered my face and fled the scene. I crossed the yard and hid in the afternoon shadows behind the shed, unable to contain my sobs. I couldn't get the image of the poor dying bird from my mind. Things like that shouldn't happen, not ever. Then Grandma came around the corner, she immediately put her arm around me and spoke softly. She didn't say it was something, that it wasn't something to worry about. 
She didn't try to tell me that I was too old to cry. She didn't even try to stop my sobs. She just held me and shared with me some stories of when she was young and how she knew how much it could hurt to see a sweet little animal suffer. More than anything else, she loved me. She understood. Grandma was sensitive to things like that. She could see things that others couldn't. She knew when there was a need. A few days later, I received a letter in the mail from Grandma that she'd written the very night of the incident with the bird, sharing some special experiences from her own life. As might be expected of an 11-year-old boy, it didn't take long for me to lose the letter, and the years that followed erased my memory of its existence, but not the memory of the incident, nor of my grandma's sweet, loving reaction to my distress. Not long later, Grandma suffered a massive stroke that bound her to a wheelchair without much use of her blessed writing ability and with no use of the legs that had always walked her to the needs of those around her. In the months that followed, Mom and her siblings took turns going to Grandma's house to help her look after herself and Grandpa. Grandpa was suffering from dementia, the severity of which we'd not known while Grandma was alive and healthy. I remember going with Mom to visit her. In my young mind, Grandma had mostly already gone. It was hard for her to speak. She slept a lot, and she no longer had the vibrant energy she'd always had before. The effort to help Grandma began to take its toll on the family, and Mom's family discussed options for having her admitted into a care center. While the plans were not finalized yet, it was clear these visits to her home were soon to an end, or were soon to end. I was privileged to come with Mom on her final visit to Grandma's house. I wish I'd known the significance of the day, but I think in my own way I was doing just what I needed to be. Someone had found a baby bird in the yard, fallen from a nest. I don't remember if the nest was too high to re for us to reach, or if it had been abandoned or what, but I remember it was clear that it would be up to us to save this poor chick. I carefully made effort to feed the bird, a tiny earthworm, and used one of Grandma's droppers to quench the bird's thirst. And though my efforts were genuine, the bird didn't survive. But within a week, we received much more somber news. One year and two months after the first bird incident, 30th of July, 1992, only three days after my 13th birthday, Grandma Curtis died. In all my young life, I'd never lost someone so close to me, and the news was shocking. Not only would we all mourn her passing, but Grandpa, whose dementia was worsening, would now be left without his beloved wife and partner of 60 years. Three years later, on the 25th of May, 1995, Grandpa followed her in death. Though we mourned his death every bit as much as Grandma's, there was a balance to his death. They were together again, and as much as they'd loved and cherished each other in life, we knew they would be together again now. At the cemetery following his funeral, there was a bustle from the crowd encouraging everyone to look to the sky. Of course we did. A beautiful round rainbow with brilliant colors stood directly above us. As we gazed, 
A beautiful bird swooped deep, passing right between us and through the rainbow. Some say it was a magpie, others a hawk, and still others say it was an eagle. But ever after that time, we saw sun rainbows as a sign of grandma and hawks as a sign of grandpa. Those signs would show up as, as, as special occasions over the years that followed. They came to be special tokens of the love that grandma and grandpa shared both for each other and for all of us. They'd become so consistent that we'd learned that in some cases we could anticipate them. In fact, at the last family reunion where all ten of Grandma and Grandpa's children attended as the family all gathered for a photo, which, based on the health of two of the siblings, we knew would be the last photo taken of all ten, I said to my family, Watch for the rainbow. It will show up. It wasn't ten minutes later that the small round rainbow appeared in the sky, just long enough for everyone to, everyone present to see it, smile, and wave to our beloved grandparents, parents, and great-grandparents. Nineteen years after Grandma's death, I was working on a compilation of Grandma's writings. She was a natural writer and absolutely loved the writing process. In an effort to gather material for this compilation, I visited my Aunt Patsy, Mom's sister, who had some of Grandma's writings. I came with a digital camera to take photos of every page of her that was in her possession. During the scanning process, I didn't read the pages. It was after arriving home that I began to actually look at what I was capturing. Among the writings were two letters written by Grandma and addressed to me. Grandma had often used carbon paper to copy letters she was writing to others in order to have copies of the letters she'd written. Based on the blue pen in clean handwriting from the letters, I had to assume that when she'd written the letter, she sent me the carbon copy, keeping the original in her own records. This was the letter she'd written to me 20 years earlier, and she'd kept a copy. I'm so, so glad she did. Everyone else had gone to bed as I opened the file on my computer and read the words of a letter she penned the very night she had put her arms around me and comforted me after seeing the tragedy with the young songbird. May 12th, 1991. Dear Chaz, Grandpa went to bed. I did too. He went to sleep. I couldn't sleep. Do you know why? I kept thinking about you. So I decided to get up and write a letter to you. I wanted to tell you about something that happened to me when I was a little girl about as old as your brother. I had a kitten. I really loved that little kitten. But one night something awful happened to my little kitten. My mother had gone somewhere and my father was taking care of my sister and me. It was dark. We were ready to go to bed. Then some tomcats started making some yowling noises on our back porch. My dad took a broom to scare them away. He hit the floor of the porch with the broom to make a noise to scare the tomcats away. He did it two or three times, hitting the floor hard. It did scare away the tomcats, but guess what? When he came down hard with the broom, he hit my kitten, and it killed her. I cried and cried. I thought my dad killed her on purpose. He told me it was an accident, and he was very sorry. 
I think I cried almost all night. I felt so bad. Last night I tried to tell Grandpa to get his cat so the cat wouldn't hurt the bird. He couldn't hear me good. He wanted to leave the cat alone. me to leave the cat alone. Sometimes he goes to the bathroom by my flowers. He thought that was what she wanted to do. Chaz, it's very hard to see something get hurt or to see a bird or an animal get killed. I'm glad you cried. It proves you love Heavenly Father's creations. I do too. Do you know in the Bible Jesus tells us that not one sparrow shall fall, but our Father in Heaven knows about it. If He cares for even a little bird, then we know He cares for us too. He didn't even, or He didn't tell us we would never get hurt. He knew we would get hurt. But He wants us to know He cares about us. Even if we die, our spirit goes to Him, and I believe the spirit of the little bird goes to heaven too. When I was 13, like your sister, I lost my little baby sister. I really cried. I loved my little sister. Then when I was about 18, I lost the only brother I had. He was almost 12 years old. A car ran over him when he was on his sleigh. I cried again. But I know Heavenly Father found a good place for His Spirit to go. It's very hard for any of us to understand why little birds die or why people die. Maybe that needs to happen so we can get better bodies that won't grow old in the resurrection. Chaz, I love you because you cared about the little bird. Those tears are part of growing up. Maybe someday it won't hurt quite, quite as much. But I hope you always care. I love you for it very, very much. Grandma Curtis. It was the letter I'd received from my grandma after the bird incident. I couldn't believe I'd forgotten about it, and how precious to now receive it anew. But then I went on to read the next file on the computer, and this one was a bigger surprise to me. Another letter addressed to me and written only two days after the bird incident. She'd written me a second letter on the same subject. I'd certainly not remembered that. But here it was, penned in the same beautiful blue pen in Grandma's distinct and lovely handwriting. Had she sent me this letter two days later, or had she never sent this letter at all? I had no way to say for sure. So with increasing curiosity, I read the letter. May 13th, 1991. Dear Charles, This will be a special letter just for you. If you want to share it with your family, that's okay. But don't ever let anyone make fun of it because it is true. It really did happen just the way I'm telling you. Grandma can sometimes see things before they happen. It is something special for me and for my family, so don't be afraid. I think Heavenly Father sometimes gives me this gift, or gives this gift to some of us who try very hard to please Him. My mom had the same gift. About three years ago, Grandma was very ill. Now, I'll interject here that she's speaking of herself in the uh, third person here, in case that's not clear. About three years ago, Grandma was very ill. I had to go to the hospital. Your mom and dad remember. I had two friends in the hospital at the same time. One night I had a dream. 
I saw a pink-looking casket, and in it was a lady dressed in her temple clothes. I thought, oh, one of my friends is going to die, and I felt so bad because I loved both of these ladies very much. I wondered if it was the one named Lily or the one named Marie. I looked a little closer and found out it was me. Then I turned around to see if anyone else could see the body, and I saw someone all dressed in white. He looked like an angel, and I seemed to know who he was. He said, I have come to take you to the Father. I didn't mind. I seemed to be glad to go. I wasn't a bit afraid. I started to go with the angel, and I heard a little boy crying. I said, wait a minute. I need to see what's what is wrong with this little boy. The angel said to me, it's time for you to go. I've been sent here to bring you home. But I heard someone crying such hard, hard sobs. I could not bear it. So I said to the angel, go back to our father. Tell him if I've done any good thing in my life to please let me stay a little longer. I must find this little boy and put my arms around him. All at once, I woke up and I knew it was just a dream. But in the hospital, they were giving me oxygen and trying to get me to breathe again. This happened three times. Each time it seemed like I was going to heaven. One time I could see a beautiful place and oh, I did want to go in. I could see many of my relatives and they were so happy. But then I thought about that little boy crying and I told the angel I wanted to go back. Charles, your grandma did get better. I came home, but something special had happened to me. Now I knew for sure there is a heaven. I knew for sure that there are angels and a father in heaven who loves me very much. There was one thing I never could understand. Who was the little boy I heard crying? All this time I kept wondering. Yesterday I found out. I was going out by the garden to find you, and I heard the same sobbing sound. It's true, Charles. I just had to put my arms around you to comfort you and tell you it really is true. Even little birds don't stay dead. I know that now. Their spirit leaves their body. Did you ever see a glove without a hand in it? It just lays there because the hand that was in it has gone somewhere else. A glove can move with a hand. A glove can move with a hand in it, but it can't feel or move without a hand in it. Our bodies, even little birds' bodies, don't hurt after the spirit goes out of it. I hope this letter helps you. I love you very much, Charles. I always will. Grandma Curtis. The incident with the bird had always stood out in my memory as a special experience with my dear grandma. But if I understood her letter correctly, I was the little boy she felt she needed to return to comfort. I and others in the family who had heard her near-death experience had always assumed that the crying little boy in her experience must have been grandpa. After all, he needed her more than anyone, right? And until the bird incident... Perhaps Grandma had the thought, or had thought, perhaps Grandma had thought the same thing. As I sat in the silence of my home, reading this letter that had been written for me twenty years earlier, I felt her presence. I didn't see or hear her, but I sensed her near. 
Whatever else the whole incident meant, I knew Grandma and I had a bond that was forged in love, her love, and love that I very much shared for her. That's the end of, of what I wrote about the incident. And I wanted to share it with you guys because it's it's really right in keeping and in the spirit of of what we've shared on this podcast about about near-death experiences and about closeness with the veil and so forth. And because of this letter, because of this discovery of the second letter that I, I'd long forgotten about, if I ever even got it initially, I'm not sure, it made me feel even closer to her. It strengthened my, my faith in near-death experiences as well as in an afterlife, in the fact that our Heavenly Father loves us, and in the fact that our spirits go on. And they go on to a place of absolute love and joy. If you would like to contact the podcast, you can email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. You can also call 970-NDE-CAST, and uh, it will give you three minutes of message time. You can keep calling back to continue your message, and I'll piece them together for the podcast. You can also comment on the podcast, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening. Thank you.